today on the Tearsheet Podcast. The market uh, for communication mediums in financial services is a, is a very mixed bag. Like there is Bloomberg, Thomson Reuters on one hand, now Infinitive, and then you have um, Microsoft, Cisco, and a bunch of other smaller messaging players. So it's a very, it was a very fragmented market, but nobody was trying to do it in one go. So everybody was very focused on either enterprise or just the front office for financial services users, but nobody wanted to do it um, end-to-end, front-to-back. And so um, with us coming in and taking on that mission, it really uh, gave hope to the buyers and to the users that they will finally have one tool um, that will consolidate different use cases. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. From Skype to Thomson Reuters, David Gurley has sat on the cutting edge of enterprise communications for two decades. In 2014, David founded Symphony, a communication collaboration platform for financial services. David joins us on the podcast to talk about how communications technology has evolved in the financial sector and looks out ahead to see what's in store. More than just a platform to connect, Symphony has APIs so that its users can share and automate workflows. The company recently released the second generation of its platform with simplified interactions and a customizable UI and smart notifications. David Gurley is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. So I'm David Gurley. I'm the founder and CEO of Symphony Communication Services. I'm actually based uh, in Hong Kong, um, but we uh, at Symphony are a global organization that provides secure communication and collaboration services for financial uh, services industry. My background uh, is all in uh, telecommunications and IP communications. Actually, I used to live in Herzilia um, some time ago working for a voiceover IP technology company named VocalTech. And I uh, worked at Microsoft, I worked at Skype, um, and eventually uh, founded Symfony in October 2014. And so, and why, why, why Symphony? Why 2014? Um, why you? I was really uh, frustrated by the lack of uh, privacy, uh, lack of uh, data protection that uh, a number of communication mediums were providing back in 2013, 2014. It felt that the world needed uh, something um, that puts security and privacy first, as opposed to convenience and growth. And so uh, that uh, was for me the inception uh, to create the company. Why me? I guess um, I have um, good empathy for the end user experience. I take a real pleasure in building products that people use. I also really, um, you know, keen on the capacity of providing our customers information that um, that we protect them, uh, that uh, we give them a choice about um, how they want to uh, take care of their privacy. So all of those things came uh, in that moment of uh, 2014 where in financial services, there were uh, other information service providers that were looking at the messages of uh, their customers. And so Symphony came at the right time and with the right technology in order to uh, very quickly grasp the market share and mind share. And did you intend from, from day one to target the financial services industry and why? Yes. Um, 
two reasons. Uh, reason number one is financial services is a hub to many other industries. Um, that means that pretty much every other industry has to interact with financial services uh, to grow and run their business. The second reason is that financial services um, security and regulatory requirements are really high. The bar is very high. So uh, if you can do less, you can, you can do more, you can do less. And, and for us, starting in the financial services represented the biggest challenge ever. And we felt that um, should we become successful in financial services, we can export that success into other verticals. So uh, with these uh, you know, two characteristics, um, we set uh, the mission to conquer the financial services. And at that time, that really meant taking on, on Bloomberg head on, right? Yes, and many others. Actually, uh, the, the market uh, for communication mediums in financial services is a, is a very mixed bag. Like there is Bloomberg, Thomson Reuters on one hand, now Infinitive, and then you have um, Microsoft, Cisco, and a bunch of other smaller messaging players. So it's a very, it was a very fragmented market, but nobody was trying to do it in one go. So everybody was very focused on either enterprise or just the front office for financial services users, but nobody wanted to do it um, end to end, front to back. And so um, with us coming in and taking on that mission, it really uh, gave hope to the buyers and to the users that they will finally have one tool um, that will consolidate different use cases all the while protecting their obviously secure information security and meeting the compliance requirements so uh, this this gave us um, the tailwind that we needed and um, and the hope that our customers saw in uh, in our capacity and gave us all the success we had so far and when you say david end to end uh, are you talking about sort of api integration into into bigger systems absolutely zach there is um you know, the communication aspect, which is messaging, voice, video, screen sharing, file sharing uh, on one hand. And then there is the platform aspect, which is integration with other third party systems. You know, the communication collaboration applications are becoming the new operating system. And then that operating system needs to be open, needs to integrate with other information systems where the data resides uh, in order for people to extract this data, modify this data, you know, put this data back into a golden master copy so that people can collaborate and move uh, the processes forward. And so API integration is absolutely crucial if you are trying to do something in this space. So I, I'm familiar with like the use cases from, you know, from a trading desk, you know, sending orders through reconciliation, that kind of stuff. Um, can you talk about some of the use cases, I guess, beyond that? Absolutely. Um, you mentioned, you know, um, obviously a couple of them, but there is one which is quite uh, fascinating. It's called the price discovery. So, you know, you are a, a buyer and, and you would like to buy a, a financial instrument, let's say, uh, you know, a debt from a, a foreign country in US dollars, and, and you are going to go and talk to all of the sell side, all of your brokers say, hey, you know, I'm interested to buy this. Uh, can you quote me a price for that? It is as if, you know, you are trying to go to a realtor and, and say, I want to buy something in, uh, in Tel Aviv. So, um, so the brokers will, will obviously uh, hustle and send you back all these uh, 
code for this particular instrument that you want to buy. And that is a very onerous and, and a cumbersome process. And if you can automate that, if you can accelerate that, that becomes a cost saving for both sides of the equation, and then you can execute on the best price. So that is a very interesting use case. Other risk case is exactly the opposite. Now you are the, the realtor or the broker. You have all these instruments um, you know, in your portfolio, um, your basket that you want to market, you want to sell. We call them access and runs. And, uh, and you want to publicize that to the buyers and say, hey, these are the things that I can trade today at this volume, at this price. Let me know if you have an interest. And, and that use case is extremely important. It literally clogs the email systems of the buy side by hundreds a day. And, uh, and people have to employ just manpower to go through those uh, access and runs in order to make sure they are not missing some golden opportunity. So putting Symfony in the heart of that and, uh, and automating that process makes the life of uh, both sides extremely more efficient um, and from there you know they can actually make the right trades so uh, this is a more like touchy-feely question but you know six years in looking back um you know you had this intention to build this company with this you know with with, with a focus on some of the things you mentioned earlier were there things that i guess you learned throughout the way that i guess informed um a particular direction you took with the company that maybe you didn't know in the beginning based on sort of the feedback loop that you got from customers and what they were looking for? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, there are a couple of learnings. I'll say one positive and one we could have done better. I think um, on the positive front, we made a huge bet on starting with security first. And it, it turned out to be a very difficult engineering task. Um, I'm glad that we made it at a time where there was still time for us to uh, mature the product and reach the MVP stage. And, um, and from there, we were able to achieve basically um, the market um, dominance that, that we have today in financial services. The, um, the area where I think we should have done a much better job uh, is uh, the pace at which we rewrote the platform. The, um, the success of uh, our original um, product uh, caught us by surprise and, um, and, and we grew really, really fast. That growth uh, came with some um, growth pain. Uh, we had some uh, service issues here and there and, and it really kept us busy uh, rather than trying to reinvent the platform into a more scalable and uh, more modular architecture we were chasing, uh, you know, patches after patches to keep the service alive, and um, and I wish that you know we had the opportunity to take the rewrite of the platform maybe a year and a half earlier, um, and that will have given us now uh, much more uh, breathing space, which we finally have uh, because we've finally achieved that stage. But um, but from a timing point of view, you know, you can always do things better uh, when you look at with a 2020 hindsight. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so February of this year, I believe you rolled out uh, 2.0. Can you talk about um, what that manifested? Absolutely. Um, it's a very good, actually, uh, segue from our earlier conversation. Uh, you know, we had to rewrite our uh, whole platform, and that doesn't only mean rewriting the backend uh, into microservices and, and, and spreading it across multiple uh, 
geographies, but it also meant that we had to reinvent the user experience. Um, you know, we've we've grown from the capital markets, and capital markets is a very high volume, high density uh, use case uh, where people will have thirty, sometimes fifty different you know conversations going on, uh, spread across multiple screens. And um, and starting there is is certainly a, a challenging initiative, but if you do if you do that, you also have to do something that is very simple and um, and where people are only trying to look at the contact list and send messages. So our user experience were, was perceived to be complex um, by uh, some of our users who were not in the front office. And so we took on that uh, challenge of uh, building client 2.0 and started about two and a half years ago, which released in February. And it really gave us um, you know, a breathing room and, 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 a, and a whole new refreshing look and feel um, that is far more competitive uh, with companies uh, like Microsoft Teams or, or products like uh, from Slack. And, um, and and not only we've done that, but we've also kept it uh, very loyal to the uh, use cases of financial services. So it's kind of a unique product that blends uh, the ease of use and the convenience, uh, but also uh, caters to uh, a power user who needs to uh, work uh, in an environment where the high volume, high density information is constantly on their desks. And I guess during that process, that's a very interesting process. Um, 2014, I'm just thinking like the world's changed a lot. I'm not even talking about COVID-19 now, but like just the investment world, the trading world has changed. Has the end user changed his or her challenges and his or her wants and needs during yes. that time period? Yes, it has. Um, and and, uh, and in the most, um, the most fascinating way, uh, first of all, there are generations that exist in the workforce. Um, you know, there, are, there is the millennium generation that enter the workforce massively. And, um, and, and that, that movement um, has arrived to a point in which a large portion of our customers are, are now millennium users. That has obviously an effect on expectations of um, the software they use every day. And, uh, and if that software uh, does not cater to their needs, uh, they will go and, uh, and bring that software um, in the organization. You know, we, we call this bring your own application. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, the second is- Is it fair to say even, that m millennials are more demanding in terms of, of uh, uh, yes. the bar? Yeah, okay. Yeah, they are, they are more demanding, um, and, um, but they're also more flexible. And, and I'll come to that. Um, then, you know, you had the older generation, uh, I am part of that, um, that generation has learned that there are also tools that live outside of their work environment, um, and that are also more convenient uh, and more friendly to use. So these two kind of forces uh, created a significant pressure on information technology teams. Uh, to transform their organization's um, applications and software choices at a faster cycle than they were in the past. So this is how the cloud became, um, you know, a, a, a something that you have to have. I remember in the early 2013 conversations I was having with the different chief information security officers, they will tell me, David, cloud, 
in financial services, it will never happen. <laughs> and uh, you know, look where we are today. So, uh, so things certainly have changed. Um, I'll come back to the flexibility. And, and what I found amazing is that um, there is no winner takes all thing anymore. Uh, you know, there, it, it used to be in the world, the world in the past where, you know, you got to be the only solution in order to um, be the dominant player. And, and today, people are capable of swapping from one application to another and, and they are not saying, I'm only gonna use this, well, I'm gonna use whatever works. And, um, and that flexibility has entered into workforce and, uh, and you no longer have one stack in the enterprise, you have multiple stacks in the enterprise. And, um, and that reality is there because the users are constantly bringing in the um, the solutions they feel which are most adequate um, to their professional needs and um, and that creates a very interesting paradigm of these days that didn't exist back in 2014. and fast forward to today um, you know covid 19s here work from home is becoming a norm in many financial institutions where it wasn't previously um, how is that impacting your customers' workflows, and and I guess how is that you know impacting you guys as well? Starting with our customers, um, you know we've uh, we've seen a wave uh, of this change, and you know driven by the crisis, uh, start mid January in Asia, and then uh, spread uh, the rest of the world uh, by March. So um, we've seen exactly the same scenario in Asia as, as it's happening today in other parts of the world. People have moved um, you know, from offices to split operations, um, from split operations to remote offices, from remote offices to work from home, and sometimes the mix of all of it. And, um, and that has become the new norm. And I think that reality will um, uh, continue to uh, stay alive post-COVID-19 crisis. And, uh, and with that came you know, new needs, new expectations. There are still people who have to go to the office because some of the communication stacks uh, are not uh, remotable into a home location. Um, and that created a need for our customers to drive us uh, towards uh, you know, taking those infrastructures out from an office location and and being able to create a virtual desktop environment in which everybody can work from anywhere they want as long as they have a reliable internet connection. And so, so that's been obviously um, uh, keeping us very busy. But what also kept us very busy is the sheer volume of new users, sheer volume of activity in our network. Um, you know, everything has just gone through the roof. And from a symphony point of view, um, we were able to uh, meet the demand uh, of uh, increase in volume, uh, increase in activity, and um, and touch wood, you know, uh, we kept the service up and running uh, despite the very very busy times that our customers uh, have been experiencing through the volatile uh, market conditions that uh, that they've been going through, which I think will continue to happen uh, all the way end of this quarter and maybe even longer time. And for the company. Uh, you know, beyond keeping the product demand and the product uh, resilience and performance up to par with the market's expectations, 
you know, we ourselves uh, have to learn to also cater to this environment where we are now all working from home. It's been for us over four weeks and four, five weeks for some of us. And, um, and it's, been, it's, it's been okay. It's been uh, really kind of a new normal and, and people have adopted new cultural habits in order to keep themselves entertained uh, in addition to, of course, doing their work. And, and we are lucky because we use Symphony every day um, and, and you know, we can see Symphony in action every day for us, but and for our customers. And, and we've been, you know, one of the few blessed uh, companies where, where we've seen massive growth, um, you know, compared to uh, many of other colleagues who have not been that lucky. And what about um, product roadmap looking? Uh, has COVID-19 changed the trajectory of, of where you're going to take the product in the future? Is it impacting it? And and regardless, yes. like where, where, where are you headed in the future with the product? Uh, Zach, it has. Um, and, um, and I think uh, our customers have realized how critical the communication infrastructure is and how much they want that infrastructure uh, to grow into. And um, all of our large financial institution customers have come to us and they said that they want to deploy to a much larger scale our uh, meetings capabilities. So that is voice, video and screen sharing capabilities. And, um, and that is an area where uh, we are massively investing and you must have seen and heard uh, the Zoom security issues, uh, mm -hmm. which obviously um, created uh, some interesting situation for some of our customers who have authorized the use of Zoom and, uh, and they hit the back pedal on that. Uh, and that gave us obviously uh, the opportunity to continue to differentiate ourselves with our end-to-end -end encryption model. And so all of that um, is now part of our day-to-day uh, you know, roadmap and, and we are extensively uh, working on that. I've, I've invested a new amount of money in order to, uh, to cater to this demand. You know, we are hiring, we are growing, and, uh, and that will be uh, for us uh, a critical part of our roadmap moving forward. David, thank you for joining us today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Zach, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.